It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to Locked On Packers on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked On Packers the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. And we are going to be taking a ton of your questions today. I want to go through them rapid fire, get through as many as I possibly can because we haven't done it in a while and there's a lot to catch up on. So anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775. And let's start with free agency questions. We got a lot of information about what happened with the franchise tag, who got it and who didn't. And that led us to a lot of questions about what's going on with the Kansas City Chiefs. Moose Fabian said, hey, Peter, what do you think the chances are of signing Justin Houston, trading for D Ford or both? Dustin Gene Chitty said, what are your thoughts on Green Bay going after Justin Houston if Houston gets cut? And I got a number of other ones. Got a voicemail about this. So. There's two potential options here and for two potential players because Justin Houston, you could still trade for him. And the reason you would trade for him is you are assuring you get him. If he gets cut, he's an unrestricted free agent and he can go anywhere. Well, why would you trade for him if they're just going to cut him? Well, because they probably won't ask for much. It's probably not going to cost a lot. And Justin Houston is still a relatively young, relatively productive player when he's on the field. And in 2019, he has a $15 million cap hit on your your Packers salary cap. So that's what a free agent pass rusher is going to cost you. And you don't have to sign him to a long-term deal. He is under contract for 2020, now for $17 million, but none of that is guaranteed. So you can have him on your roster for one year while, let's say, Brian Burns or Montez Sweat or one of these rookie pass rushers that they're likely going to draft progresses and builds a bridge to the next guy and his opportunity to be the A pass rusher for your defense. D Ford. Similar situation, same price. Because he was tagged as a linebacker, he is going to get fifteen, about $15 million. It would have been closer to 17 plus. It's 15.4. It would have been more than that had he been tagged as a defensive end, but there's a, a basically a loophole in the CBA that allows teams, if there are three, four outside linebackers, you get tagged as a linebacker instead of as a defensive end. And the number 
is lower because of a, a lot of different reasons. The Chiefs tagged D Ford, but don't want to give him a long-term contract. So what do you have to give up to get those guys? Well, much less for Houston than Ford because they're going to cut Houston if they can't find a trade partner. D Ford, they can just keep for a year and then either decide to give a long-term contract if he has another big season or move on from him or franchise him again and try and trade him. Would you give up a pick for D Ford? Well, same premise applies for Ford that that applies to Houston. If you get him, he's on the franchise tag. Now, usually those are precursors for long-term contracts, but you wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have to give him a long-term contract. You could give up the pick for him, and let's say it's a third-round pick. Well, certainly in 2019, D. Ford is going to be better than any third-round pick you can have, and then you have the option. Let's say he does play well and you want to give him a long-term deal. Let's say he gets hurt and maybe you have the option to bring him back because he was in your building and you feel like he you know, he likes it there. You can bring him back like Muhammad Wilkerson on a smaller deal, on a prove-it deal. Just having the guy there gives you a better opportunity to evaluate him. And he's good. He's a good player and can play in a 3-4. And again, can keep the seat warm for whoever the long-term solution is, no matter who Green Bay signs in free agency this offseason, because guys like Clowney and Clark are off the market, in all likelihood, they're not going to be long, long-term answers. Three-year deals, maybe four-year deals. And that's just, that's not, you, you don't need that. One year to get these other guys up to speed, they're probably going to double dip at edge, probably going to double dip outside linebacker, and they're going to bring someone in. So that gives you an opportunity to hold down the fort, get a quality player, and not give up that much to get them. All right. Hey, Peter. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Cody out of Bali. Bali. What time do you download these podcasts? Via Wisconsin. Collins and Weddle, meaning Landon Collins and Eric Weddle, become free agents within hours of each other. Out of curiosity, because I am one of the loudest Thompson Thomas proponents, how would you feel about Packer pursuit of both if they can get Weddle at a discount? Look at that face. He looks like a Packer. This is interesting. Um, so what do you think the cost is going to be? Earl Thomas is going to want 12 plus, probably, probably need to get 14 or 15. Landon Collins is going to want certainly double digits, but probably 12 plus. If you pay them both, let's just say Earl Thomas accepts 12 and then Landon Collins accepts 12. Now you're at 24 and you don't really have enough. Now they can make about $5 million in space cutting Nick Perry. They can make uh, another 6 million in space cutting Tremont Williams. Now you've got 11 and that gives you a little bit more wiggle room. But what we know about what Green Bay is going to do, or at least what's been reported that they want to do is they want to spend in the edge market. They want to spend on pass rushers and then figure it out. And so it sounds like they're going to be in the secondary free agent market for safeties. They're going to be right right away, you're going to hear reports. Packers have conversations with Preston Smith. Packers have conversations with Zadarius Smith. And those are the free agent prizes. I don't love the price tags there. I've been on record as saying I think Anthony Barr should be the guy. I wrote about it for Acme Packing Company. If it's not up yet, it will be up shortly whenever you're listening to this. And he is the guy with the upside that I really like for the money in this free agency class. 
But that leaves those secondary options at safety. Maybe they can afford an Adrian Amos at, let's say, $8 million. Maybe they can afford, they certainly will be able to afford a Trey Boston type player. They're not going to be able to sign both. They just don't have the money to sign both. But one could be in play, depending on what they get out of their free. So let's say they sign Preston Smith and it's $14 million. They don't have the same problems with money because you're getting one of these safeties now. So you have your edge guy, and, and then you turn your attention to the safeties, except you're probably, if you, have, if you have taken and spent your resources and your time, you only have so much time at, at, at any given time on finding those edge rushers and negotiating and trying to figure out what the deal is there, it becomes harder, especially when you don't know how much money you're going to have, to then get in whole hog with the safety market. So could Eric Weddle be a secondary free agent guy? Could could Eric Weddle be someone they sign right now? Yeah. By the way, you can sign Eric Weddle before the new league year, and it's not tampering. It's not anything. He is, once he's released, he's a free agent and can be signed. So they could sign Eric Weddle tomorrow, leave that just handled, go after their pass rusher or two, and then come back and say, okay, we'd also like to sign Trey Boston, or now we're going to work on Adrian Amos or whatever it is, those would be those would work. You could sign Earl Thomas and Eric Weddle from a financial standpoint. The problem is you just don't likely have the time to take care of all those things. All right, this is an interesting uh, scheme question that I'm going to try and answer quickly. Hey, Peter, this is Tom from Lansing, Michigan heard a lot about uh, Matt LaFer's affinity for outside zone schemes. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what qualities we should be looking for in a running back for these schemes and how our current running back stable fits these molds. Thanks. So the short answer is the the backs that the Packers have. Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones are tailor-made to be zone runners because the deal with zone running, and this was going back to those Mike Shanahan days in Denver, the joke was, You could put any running back back there, and his offense was so running back friendly that they could rush for 1,000 yards. And we saw a lot of guys rush for 1,000 yards in Denver and then get signed and go on to do nothing because they weren't playing in that Mike Shanahan scheme. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are one-cut runners, and that's what you have to be in his own scheme. Everything is going to go horizontally, and then you cut and you go. You see the hole and you hit it. You've got to get north-south as quickly as possible. There is no Le'Veon Bell dancing in the backfield, waiting, waiting, waiting. No, you see the hole and you hit it, or you see the cutback and you hit it. And what's great about Aaron Jones is he doesn't even have to read it cleanly because he can make guys miss. So he's just going to get downfield and then figure it out. Jamal Williams is one cut and hammer. If If the seam is there and he can slither through it, then he can pick up yards after that. Aaron Jones is is able to get to his spot, see what's happening, and then even if it's not clean, he can make something happen with it. So, you know, we, we can talk about the running backs in this draft that potentially fit that and whether or not that's something Green Bay is going to have to look at. But the the important point here, the, the big takeaway is they have two guys tailor-made for this scheme. And I think they're going to be really successful in it. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get to some uh, some draft questions here. I know there are a lot of, of questions coming out of the combine, so let's start with this one. Hey, this is Topher from Lawrence, Kansas. Huge fan of the show. Love following you on Twitter. Um, this seems like an outside-of-the-box idea, but what if Green Bay, with their first two picks, went TJ Hawk and Noah Fant from Iowa? They already know how to play together. We've seen, like, with an elite scheme, an elite quarterback back with the Patriots, we saw Aaron Hernandez and Gronk just go crazy on the league. What if we had those two that are already teammates that are showing great stuff at the combine, um, had them together to build up a, a receiving regime for Aaron Rodgers and then even the future, uh, since they're both, uh, would be rookies right now. Um, tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear this on the show. Thank you for all you do. I mentioned this the other day on Twitter. Uh, there is a a non crazy way for the Packers to end up drafting four straight Hawkeyes at twelve, thirty, forty four, and seventy five. Uh, it's not it's not nuts. And even if they let's say they draft someone at thirty, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they come back in the third or the fourth round and they take another one because we don't know what this tight end group looks like that's already on the on the team. Can Robert Tanyan be more than what he was? Working out with George Kittle is cool. It's great. And, you know, if he can become George Kittle, more power to him. And Jimmy Graham is a one-year player. Beyond that, they don't have any answers on this roster. So let's say they take TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fanner, Smith, one of those guys, with either or any of 12, 30, and then maybe 44. They could still come back in the, the fourth round and find someone like Dawson Knox waiting there for Mole Misk, someone who can block, who can give you a little bit in the passing game. Those are those are things that you'd see a Ted Thompson team do. Those are things that you'd see Brian Gutekind's team do. He's already done it. He has doubled up at positions before. We know that is something that he is willing to do. He could do it twice in this draft, grab a couple edge rushers, grab a couple tight ends, and figure everything else out after that. Hey, Peter. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Chad from New Mexico here. Regarding DK Metcalf, I'm not sure about the 12th pick being spent on him. His shuttle and three-cone drill times were super slow for a receiver. I think he's more worth pick 44 than 12 or even 30. Not sure if you've seen those stats or not, but I felt like I should mention it after hearing you mention, call him a freak athlete. He's got good speed, but he's not quick, and quick is what we need. I had seen them. Uh, There was a meme going around that Tom Brady actually ran faster agilities than DK Metcalf. Uh, he he did slip twice doing um, one of the agility drills. So that's part of the reason. I don't care. I really don't. And Green Bay might. They, they have prized uh, agility and receivers for a long time. 
but Josh Gordon did not move well in, in with suddenness. I think a lot of Packer fans are bogged down in the kind of team that this used to be. That's not the team anymore. This team does not have to rely on its receivers to get open quickly in the same way under Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur wants to push the field vertically. So what better way to do that than with a guy who's 6'3", 230, and runs 4'3". He can get down the field. You want to push the ball? He compares, by the way, pretty favorably, athletic profile-wise, to Julio Jones, who also... Is not a, he's not a supremely sudden route runner. Now, he's, he's a pretty good route runner and has developed into one. DK Metcalf can still do that. He still uses subtlety in his routes to create open space. And he's huge. And he's fast. And he's strong. He's really talented. If you, if you want to say, oh, I would only use pick 44 on him, then my answer to you is, then you're not getting him. Because the rest of the NFL thinks he's much better than that. There was a discussion... Uh, recently, should the 49ers take him at two? Because they need a receiver. We, we worry too much about some of that stuff. And we're going to get to this a little bit later about the combine and the numbers and what they tell us and what they don't tell us. I'm not worried about it. Uh, he, It would be more impressive if he had better times there, for sure. And I'm sure he is going to work. He's not going to run his 40 at the pro day. He's, he's already run fast enough. My guess is he will try and improve those three cone and short shuttle times to show that he can do that. He's going to he's gonna really work on his route running to show that he can run NFL routes with consistency. But he can run slants because he's huge. And just it's one cut. Just put your foot in the ground. He can run go routes. He can run post routes. He can run corner routes. I mean, when you're that big and that fast and, and that strong... That's all you need to do. That's all Josh Gordon ever really needed to do. That's all Martavis Bryant ever really needed to do to be really talented, really good players. And DK does not have the off-the-field baggage that those guys did. Remember, Josh Gordon with crap quarterbacks and 14 games led led the league in receiving because all he did was create big plays. If all he does is get down the field on posts and goes and stutter goes, that's really valuable. That is a really useful player. And while I agree 12 for the Packers is probably not in play, it's not crazy. And as I mentioned yesterday, there is no more crazy because this draft is on its own a little bit crazy. So everything is in play. That is a very good segue. So thank you, Chad, from New Mexico. That is a very good segue into this voicemail. Hey, Peter. What's happening? This is Sam from Boston checking in. I want to know which players would the Packers have to draft for you to give them an A-plus grade for their first selection at 12. I hope this ultimately leads to an understanding of how many guys you feel exist in this class that would be worthy of that kind of grade if they landed in Green Bay. Thanks, man. I'm looking forward to hearing your response. So I think the obvious answer for me is if Montez Sweat falls to 12. So if we're speaking strictly about 12, uh, I think, you know, we expect, we talked about who could be available and Oliver could fall. Would love that. Mike Daniels is going to be a free agent after the season. Ed Oliver is going to be a better NFL player than he was a college player. And that's saying something. You watched that game in 2016 as a freshman, as a teenager, he wrecked Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield 
and all those really talented players wrecked them, wrecked them. They couldn't do anything with them. It is hard to remember a defensive tackle in college football wrecking games play to play the way that he did. I mean, the list is like Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue. That's it. I mean, that I can remember. So if he fell to 12, that's a no-brainer. Montez Sweat, as I said. I think Jonah Williams is an, is an A+. Plus. He, he's not the athlete that they normally like, but he can come in and play right guard right away. Andre Dillard, I love the athleticism. I love the player. Uh, I think, you know, I, I've caught some flack on Twitter for saying that he, you know, he could be worth the 12th pick. Absolutely worth the 12th pick. I have him right now as the 10th best player in this class. And that is that is keeping some some space here, some wiggle room. Above him, I have two empty spaces just because I've got a couple more guys that could fill the, the void there that I want to keep that open for. But, I mean, he is certainly worthy of that. And... I st- I still think Cleveland Farrell, if he tests well. Now, I was surprised when I went back and looked at it. He did test well enough with the agilities relative to his size to qualify for the kind of athlete that Green Bay wants. If he runs well enough, he will he will once again qualify. And I went back and watched Christian Wilkins yesterday. Farrell's all over that tape. All over it. I mean, I, I wrote down in my notes, Farrell is the alpha of that defense, of that defensive line especially. He's really good, and I know he's not a freak athlete, but he's really good and really disruptive and really plays hard. And I know that he doesn't have a lot of experience as a stand-up pass rusher. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. He's good and has been good for two years at Clemson. I think those are the guys... That I'm thinking now, I, I do think there's another scenario where, by the way, TJ Hawkinson, not an A plus if they take him at 12 um, and any of the linebackers. I don't think that's an A plus. I would I would accept it, but it's not an A plus. There are some A guys. I mean, I think Dalton Reisner, depending on the situation, could be an A. I think Devin Bush would be an A. TJ Hawkinson, probably an A minus. Chauncey Gardner Johnson, an A minus. Brian Burns, yeah, borderline A A minus. No fan. Not crazy. Daniel Jeremiah had no fan at twelve uh for the Packers. It's it's really not crazy. I don't know if that would be an A in the moment, but it could end up being an A just given his athletic ability. That would it would be a little bit out of the out of left field, but not really when you think about it. So that would be that would be my perspective at twelve, and that is that is all subject to change. But the my board is taking shape. And that is that's where I stand right now. I'm I'm not sure it's going to change much between now and the and the actual draft. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I felt like this was a good question to end on, and I addressed it a little bit yesterday, but I but I want to get into a little bit deeper. Uh, and, and plus, he's... he's 
coming from Germany, so I, I felt like I needed to I needed to answer this question. Hey, Peter, this is Kevin from Germany again. Germany. We had Bali and Germany on the show today. I have a question regarding the combine. Do you think people value the combine too much? Players put multiple years of play on tape, and yet some people seem to completely change their mind when a player runs faster or doesn't move as smoothly as expected. How much should the combine that is much more dependent on daily from outweigh daily form outweigh a player's college tape? And how do you think does that apply to GMs in their evaluations of prospects? Appreciate all the work that you do and haven't missed a single episode in over a year. Thanks. Well, first of all, thank you because that is major dedication and I appreciate it. I do think some teams overvalue the speed component, overvalue the 40 time. Clearly, NFL Network does because they didn't show us almost any of what, what happened at the combine outside of the 40-yard dash. Speed is blinding in the NFL. And it, it, you always say you, know, you can't teach speed. That's a truism in the NFL. It's a, a cliche in the NFL. But it's true. You, can't, you cannot coach someone's speed. Now, they can get stronger. They can lose weight. They can, they can do a lot of things to make their body better. They can improve their form. You can get better as a route runner. You can become a little bit more explosive. You can quicken your feet. But for the most part, you are what you are as an athlete. I do think teams can get caught up in that and forget that they still have to play football. Colton Miller was a combine warrior, but you looked at him on tape and you went, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe in a year, maybe in two years, he can do that. As I said yesterday, the most important thing that you can use these numbers for is to compare and contrast. We have decades of data on the kinds of players who succeed based on certain qualifications. And we also have decades of data that say these are the these are the the measurements, these are the times, these are the drills that are important at different positions. So 40-yard dash and receiver, there's, there's no correlation. The faster you run, there's, there is no correlation in speed and quality of receiver. But we do see a correlation with three-cone time and offensive line play and pass rusher play. It is the case that first-round picks tend to be elite athletes uh, at almost every position. And uh, there have been studies done about this, but... Uh, Kentley Platt, who uh, does the relative athlete score, was was doing this the other day. Basically, by a huge margin, by a huge margin, the guys who get picked in the first round are above average athletes for their position. So if you're not, you're fighting an uphill battle. And I think if you're a team, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world because all of these players are lottery tickets in some way or another. And if you're going to bank on a guy with high upside, you want to do it with athleticism. You want to make that bet on someone who has athletic traits who can become something good or on a player who has already proven they are really good. Now, this is where we miss sometimes. There's proven players who don't test well and everyone says, well, they're not good athletes. And then they have success and everyone goes, well, see, didn't matter. Those players are actually outliers. And it's the same on the other end of the spectrum with athleticism. There are some guys who have a ton of athleticism and weren't great college players who succeed. Well, sometimes that makes sense and sometimes it doesn't. But what the point of having parameters, of having thresholds is to say, even if we miss 
on the actual evaluation of the quality of the player. There is something there to build on, and we've seen plenty of times fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, UDFAs, who have specific athletic traits for their position, succeed because of those traits and develop because of those traits. And they're not always readily available, especially for players who aren't great players. So yeah, the combine can be overvalued. It can be overrated, but it can also be underrated. Because if you know where to look and you know what I mean, Bill Belichick's famous for for only caring about the three cone. The Packers have very specific athletic parameters that they have for their players. They want a certain type of guy. And there was a a study done uh, in the last two or three years where they basically looked at all of the offensive linemen and the traits that, that the guys that succeeded had. And he looked at the combine and he said, all of these guys who meet this certain athletic threshold Nearly all of them were good. And Green Bay had this huge disproportionate number of them because they care about this specific athletic trait. It does matter. And anyone who says it doesn't matter doesn't know what they're talking about. Don't listen to those people. But you can't overvalue it. Ultimately, what you see on tape has to be the most important thing. But when you're looking on the margins, oh, this player might not be great. Let's take a let's take a flyer on them because they have these athletic traits. Kendall Donerson, perfect example. Not really anything as a college player, but crazy athleticism. Maybe he maybe he develops into something. Maybe he doesn't. But that is a shot worth taking. Jeff Janis was a shot worth taking because of his athletic ability. Charles Johnson was a shot worth taking because of his athletic ability. Marquez Valdez Scantling was a shot worth taking because of his athletic ability. And look, it paid off. So that is, that is something to keep in mind as you look at these scores and as you watch players in college, as you watch the combine, as you, as you take these evaluations into account when you're thinking about the combine and the draft and all of those things, there are ways to use the data to your advantage and some teams are just better at manipulating it than others. We're going to be back tomorrow. Uh, We will do an off-season report card series this week. I haven't decided on the position yet. I'm still working on a couple different uh, evaluations for for the rookie class. So we'll see what we're going to do there. But plenty more to come. Free agency opens next week. And we're only a few days away from uh, the, the unofficial tampering, official legal tampering period. And there's always going to be signings. Uh, that happen in there that that are reported. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. And I'm excited to see what happens, to see what the reports are. We're going to have a lot more information in the next, you know, three or four days about free agency and, and who the Packers could be targeting. So keep an eye out for all of that. If you're subscribed to the show, it's just going to come right to your phone. No worries. It's just going to be there. You can follow me on Twitter. I always tweet out the, the links to the shows and uh, answer questions as I can on there. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Subscribe to the show. It's easy. Leave a review, leave a rating. Let other people know why you like Locked on Packers, why you're listening. And anytime you want to be a part of a show like this and you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.
Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.